1: Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Here's the question so many people ask me. How the heck is the market still doing this well, hitting all these records? Think about it. Stocks have indeed come very far very fast. We're right on the cusp of multiple rate hikes. There was a terrorist attack in Times Square. We've got a special prosecutor investigating the White House. And last week, we almost had a government shutdown that was only temporarily averted. Yet stocks, they're in great shape. Dow gaining 57 points, S&P advancing 0.32%, both hitting new highs. NASDAQ climbing 0.51%, led by, you guessed it, Apple. Look, these are not easy questions, frankly, at this point. When I talk to people, far more of them want to get out of this market rather than get in. It always pains me, but that's what they want to do. Many of them genuinely believe that we are being led right off a cliff. Like obvious little lemmings. I think they may be mistaken, though. I'm going to give you a sense why. We can start with a bigger picture. That's the so-called macro. First of all, the world is, the whole world is on fire here. And all these U.S.-specific worries pale in comparison to the synchronized global expansion we're experiencing. You can go continent to continent and see it. And hey, even when you look at the U.S. alone, it's pretty darn incredible. We have very strong job growth here, and needless to say, that's great for a whole host of industries. When people have jobs, they spend money on homes, on cars, on devices. People collecting a steady paycheck are a lot more confident than the unemployed. Even better, we're in this sweet spot where there's still so much slack in the labor market from the Great Recession that we can have tremendous job growth without much inflation. I always call that the holy grail of investing. It's not just that we're creating lots of jobs, though it's where these jobs are being created. I think that matters as much. We didn't talk about, you know, I've got that broad brush uh, number from the Labor Department, but you know what sector really shined? It was the manufacturing sector. It's incredibly robust, manufacturing. We've been worried about losing that for years. It's robust because the United States now has has found abundant natural resources that we tend to take for granted. But with the exception of Russia, I was noodling on this, no other real industrialized country has access to so much cheap oil and cheap natural gas. In fact, we've reached an odd place where we have far more energy than we ourselves can use. We're now producing about 10 million barrels of oil a day. It doesn't mean we're not importing, but this is what we're doing, 10 million, and that's a record. It's even more impressive when you consider that OPEC flooded the market with crude in order to drive our producers out of business. Their strategy failed, and the U.S. has become a major energy exporter. That's huge for manufacturing, especially our plentiful and low-cost natural gas supplies, which makes America a far more attractive place to build stuff. Beyond that, our oil companies are more flushed than you'd expect at these prices because drilling costs keep coming down, and they can find more oil with fewer rigs. Hey, by the way, that's why this rig count we follow on Friday and the oil inventories on Wednesday ain't the clue in, but they really don't matter that much anymore. We're getting much more out of each rig. That matters. And who cares about stores when we're exporting oil at a record, record price, It really doesn't matter how much is stored. What matters is how much we're exporting. In short, jobs are being distributed more broadly in places that have been fallow. Why doesn't that story get more airtime? It does beat me. It's part of the ongoing feel-good, I guess, industrial renaissance. And while it's tough to keep companies here when they could pay workers so much less if they moved to Mexico or any other developing country, some of them are doing plenty of hiring in America. Maybe it's the low-cost energy advantage. Maybe it's the president's bully pulpit. Maybe it's a bit of both. And those are just the organic positives. How about tax reform? Big impact. Whatever your view of this bill politically, it is a huge positive not negative for the market, even though there are some issues for individual investors, like selling out first in so that you have to pay higher taxes. Now, I'll give you an example. I've interviewed a host of taxpaying companies like Boeing last week. Remember, they got high taxes, and they intend to return some of that money to shareholders in the form of dividends and buybacks. You know, after the close, they announced a 20% boost in the dividend and an $18 billion buyback. But they also told us that they'll use that found money to hire and to innovate. Now, we know they have far more plane orders than they can handle. They need to expand the capacity. Maybe they get the money to make that happen. Bullish. Speaking of aerospace, this industry is another reason why you can pick at stocks when they're down, particularly the industrials. There are only a handful of companies directly involved with aerospace. And the obvious ones that stand out are Honeywell, United Technologies, and Boeing. There are only a handful that are involved in aerospace and defense. And here again, it's General Dynamics, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, and Boeing again. These are major industries, and they're generating a ton of business. Aerospace and defense are why so many industrial stocks refuse to go down, frankly. Uh, Even those ones partially involved. You know, here I'm thinking about an Eaton or Parker Hannafin or PPG or, or an Arconic. The aerospace cycle is real, it's on fire, and it's generating a lot of jobs. Well, then there's something President Trump's chief economic advisor, Gary Cohn, said the other day. He said deregulation by our president is spurring jobs. Now, as a small business owner myself, I am always conscious of the layers of red tape. All that stuff's true, by the way. They make it impossible to compete with big business. But since Trump took office, it's not the federal government that people are worried about. It's state and local jurisdictions. This administration has been rolling back regulations. They've gotten a lot softer when it comes to enforcing existing ones. Again, you may think this is really bad, Okay, I'm not talking politics. Purely from an economic standpoint, deregulation is good for the stock market. Remember the premise here. I'm trying to tell you why it's not crazy that stocks can stay up here. Now, I certainly think that banks are feeling this deregulation. Banks have, since the Great Recession, lived in fear of losses and what the regulators would say if they took them. But a bank that takes no chances on anyone less than totally creditworthy, I would say that's a bank that's not really doing its job. Thanks to all the rules and regulations put forward after the recession, banks have been very averse to expanding, let alone lending money to people who actually might need it. Less regulation means they can afford to take some risks. And that means the bank stocks can once again be viewed as conservative growth plays rather than just down and out dirty value or value traps. If you, want, if you want to see what I'm talking about, look at letter C. Look at the stock of Citigroup. Do you know a week ago we learned that it's going to have a $20 billion loss? The stock barely budged. It's now about a point below its high because we realize that the loss comes from bookkeeping. It's what happens when you cut taxes and therefore your losses. And the losses just aren't that worth as much. Plus, if the regulators aren't going to freak out about it, why should we? Finally, we're witnessing some just truly amazing, I would say breathtaking comebacks in certain stocks. For instance, look at Valiant, VRX, Joe Papa's company. Now, many thought that when Bill Ackman, the big head, big-time hedge fund manager, bailed from his huge Valiant position sell, 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 sell. at around $11. Well, it had to be a game changer. It had, it had to be over, right? I mean, any guy, big guy who knows the company blows out of a stock? Well, it turns out it was just beginning. Valiant just broke out above 20 bucks. It turned out to be a pression buy, not a pression sell. And then there's all sorts of other outlets that we thought on. We're on desk store. Abercrombie & Fitch. American Eagle Outfitters. People were sweating Gap. I know people were worried about L Brands. Some of these were seemed like in a permanent death spiral, but it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I, the mall's not teeming with people, but it sure doesn't seem all that dead either. And if you really had any doubt about shopping, consider Costco, Children's Place, Home Depot, Walmart. Have you seen how they're doing? They're incredible. Or the comebacks in, this, in stocks of Macy's and Kohl's. Retail suddenly looking pretty darn good. It's just very hard to keep stocks down in this environment. That's really the major takeaway. Tough to keep them down. So let me give you the bottom line. Last week I did present a list of worries when we were hitting all times high again, like today, that I'm always ruminating on. But I think the reason why this market keeps hanging in there matters a lot matters a lot more. The truth is, when the economy's this good, you are indeed unlikely to get a sustained. Decline. Let's go to Alex in Arkansas. Alex. Hey, Jim, a big woo-pig suey from the University of Arkansas, home of the Razorbacks. Yes, we love the Razorbacks. What's happening?
2: Well, I had to take a break from studying for finals Asked you a couple questions about the human resources firm I recently invested in, Spirity Inc. Their fundamentals look strong with consistent revenue and earnings growth, and they announced a two-for-one split last month. Where do you think their PE ratio is compared to their competitors? And do you see continued growth in 2018 post-stock? With. Should okay. I buy more? And do you think their growth is solid? Yeah, I think you're respect- absolutely fine.
1: No need to buy more, Alex. Great to have the college guys. Here's the deal: we did a profile of Inspurdy, and we were like, we, it was called a "What the Heck." That's what we do. Where it was like, "What the heck is this company doing so well?" Well, human resources and business optimization services are very hot. You're in a hot one. No need to buy more, but I like Inspurdy. James in Tennessee. James. Hello, Jim. James, how are you? Just fine. My question is, what is your opinion of Johnson & Johnson stock in view of the company's liability in the Zarelto and talcum powder lawsuits? And what would you say would be a realistic 12-month target price? Okay. uh, First, uh, congratulations to Alex Gorski and to Army on a big victory. But everybody's a winner in the Army-Navy game. Second, I don't think that those lawsuits are all that relevant third i could see j and j creeping up to 155 without a problem it's a great american company no i don't want to minimize what the you know what's happened to people who are suing i just want to say that it's not a reason to avoid the stock all right don't let the negative nancy's fool you there are worries out there but there are plenty of positives too boy is it hard to keep this market down well man tonight a company with the lead drug for parkinson's has come down quite a bit over the last few months is it time to consider acadia pharma or is it a drop in? A, or is it a red flag? Then the auto parts retailers were stalled earlier this year. Are they still in need of a tune-up, or could this be the big breakout? And could an investment in golf be a hole in one for your portfolio? I'm eyeing a private player. Player, see how it's disrupting space and where they ever. Don't miss my exclusive with Top Golf CEO. And stick with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
1: About a month ago, we got a call from a fellow by the name of Lance in Florida. He was asking about a small biotech company. It's called Acadia Pharmaceuticals. The stock had just gotten slammed and slammed hard in the first two weeks of November. And Lance wanted to know if it was worth buying into weakness. Well, I've talked about this one before, I hadn't been keeping track of it. So I told Lance I needed to do some homework and then dig into why the stock had sold off before I gave him a verdict. You can't just cuff these things. Now, because this is or at least we claim it to be, the most interactive show on television, we did our research and now I'm ready to report back. My view? Ooh, this is a tough one to get your head around, frankly, as the stock's been a real roller coaster. A lot of people don't like roller coasters, so even if you like what I'm about to say about the stock, it may not suit you. That said, I think that Acadia's got enough going for it that this stock is indeed worth speculating on. Meaning you can invest a small portion of your discretionary mad money portfolio in Acadia, not for your retirement money. But I like this one. What makes you feel so good about it? Okay, first, let's talk about what the company actually does. KD is a biotech focused on treating central nervous system disorder, CNS disorders, specifically mental illness and some symptoms of Parkinson's. The company has one drug on the market, just one. It's called that's Nuplazid. That's N U P L A Z I D. That's approved by the FDA in April of 2016. And that's for treating hallucinations and delusions associated with Parkinson's related psychosis. In fact, you know, it's the only drug on the market for these Parkinson's symptoms. Roughly one million people in the U.S. are afflicted with Parkinson's, with another three or four million in the rest of the world. And about 40 percent, that's a very high number, 40 percent of them experience Parkinson's related psychosis. That's rough. Parkinson's is bad enough without having some hallucinations. But I know this to be the fact. Meanwhile, Katie is studying the same compound on dementia-related psychosis, certain types of schizophrenia, major depressive disorders, all areas with major unmet needs, because even when most existing antipsychotic drugs work, it's so often that the side effects are so terrible that it's very hard to keep people on their meds. You always hear people saying, did he go off the meds, did she go off the meds? Because there are consequences. The drug is in phase three clinical trials for both dementia and for schizophrenia, and it's in phase two for depression. Sadly, these are huge markets. You know, there are eight million Americans with dementia related psychosis, which includes Alzheimer's related psychosis. At the moment, there's not a single FDA approved drug for this condition. Instead, most doctors prescribe off-label antipsychotics that are meant for people with schizophrenia or several cases of bipolar disorder. So, far the, the data seems to suggest that Acadia's drug can prevent people from suffering dementia from having new psychotic episodes or at least reduce their frequency. This could be big. How about schizophrenia, where Acadia is studying this same drug also in phase 3 clinical trials? More than 3 million Americans suffer from schizophrenia. In other words, what's attracting me, as you can tell, these are gigantic markets. And just like all these other conditions, it's really devastating, both for the people with the disease and their families who need to take care of them. Although, unlike dementia, schizophrenia typically manifests manifests itself in your 20s or even your late teens. And then kind of hijacks your whole darn life. This disease is as varied as it is terrifying. Sometimes it causes hallucinations and delusions. Think voices in your head. Sometimes it's paranoia. Sometimes it's incredibly confused and jumbled thinking. And then sometimes it's extreme emotional withdrawal or even catatonia. In short, it's the kind of condition that makes you think, Thank heavens for modern medicine. But there's a problem with the medicines here, and that's where KD comes in. The drugs we use to treat schizophrenia, they got tons of flaws. In addition to the severe side effects, some of these pills can make you gain... Weight. Now, when they say gain weight, they're not talking about adding three or four pounds. They talk about gaining 30 or 40 pounds, and they do it in a matter of months and really hit or miss figuring out which ones work and which ones don't. That also takes a lot of time. So, Acadia is studying their compound, the same one they use for dementia Parkinson's, and Parkinson's psychosis, as a treatment for schizophrenia patients who aren't getting the help they need from the current antipsychotic drugs on the market. It works via a totally different pathway. So it could end up being very popular if it can get FDA approval. (coughs) All right, so now let's put it all together, okay? Uh, you got the makings of what I think is a pretty good story. No, I should say sadly a pretty good story because these people are suffering mightily. However, over the past couple of years, This has been a tough stock, Jones. It's been whipped all over the place with the rest of biotech. Sector falls in and out of favor. Wall Street liked Acadia when it was trading at 35 in April last year when the FDA approved its lead drug for Parkinson's psychosis. But then it's been range-bound back and forth between 25 and 41. Now, roughly a year ago, we got some positive Phase two data on how Acadia's main drug works for people suffering from psychosis caused by Alzheimer's disease socked sword in response. Acadia is very much a one-drug wonder. So if this story is all about Nuplazid, particularly whether it can get approved for additional indications beyond Parkinson's, interesting. But there's another component to the story, and that's takeover speculation. Earlier this year, we heard a ton of rumors that it could be the target, people even mentioned the specific suitor of a company like Pfizer or J&J. That caused the stock to surge, briefly hitting the $40 level. However, deal never manifested. It never materialized. And then Acadia gradually drifted back down. Then when the company reported in May, its new plaza sales came in weaker than some analysts expected. So then it plummeted to 25 But that is where it bottomed, though. And you know what? Acadia started bouncing again management held some bullish analyst meetings, and we started hearing renewed takeover chatter. Then the company reported a breakout quarter in August, trouncing Wall Street's expectations with much better-than-expected sales and a dramatically smaller-than-anticipated earnings loss. It looks like New Plaza was really starting to gain traction, and management sounded more confident about the drug's long-term prospects. Back to 35. In September, we got more takeover uh, speculation. This time, the Evening Standard reported that AstraZeneca was considering a bid. But in October, we finally got some real news. The FDA granted Acadia's drug breakthrough therapy as a breakthrough therapy status for dementia-related psychosis. And the company started a phase three trial, the last phase before you can ask for approval. Stock spiked to 41 on the news. That's where it peaked, at least for the moment. The analysts who covered the stock raised their price targets en masse. But nobody seemed to care. Bad sign. Because sure enough. Last month, this one's exasperating. Acadia gave us an update on the Phase two Alzheimer's psychosis study, the same one that produced such strong data at the end of last year. This time, though, while the study met its primary endpoints, Wall Street was underwhelmed, the stock got slammed, it plunged 9% on the news. And then when it reported a few days later, the results were better than expected. But investors were hoping for another epic blowout. Didn't get one. Stocks sold off another nine percent. Shares continued to fall for the next five sessions, right until we got that call from Lance in Florida, asking if Acadia is a buyer. Well, even in that time, it's rebounded about twelve percent. Lance, you got horse sense. I think it's got more room to run. As far as I'm concerned, the bullish story is intact. It's just that this stock has periods of being overly light followed by periods of excessive hatred. Frankly, this was, I would say, the most volatile stock that I've ever done the work on. Bottom line, Acadia's been a real wild trader, but it's got a very impressive antipsychotic drug that could have many different indications. So I think the stock is absolutely worth speculating the next time it pulls back. And I think from what I just went over with you, it won't pull back again, because just like every other biotech in this environment, it's prone to periodic weakness. What a tough one, but one I want to own when it gets hit again. Can we go to John in California, please, John?
0: Oh, happy holidays, Jim, from out here in Sacramento. We love you out here. Oh,
1: you're very, very kind. You know, we had that very, that gentleman from uh, Doug Bauer from TriPoint. Got a lot of uh, uh, land there. I think it sounds like a good stock. What's going on?
0: Okay, I got Gilead when it was. Uh up a bit and I bought it. They got the cure for uh, hepatitis C. It loses 20%, they make a ton of money and they bought another company a while back. I was just wondering, What's your opinion of where Gilead's going with this big billion-dollar acquisition? They you got? know
1: what? I liked it. I liked the acquisition in the same way. Just so we know that I like the acquisition uh, of any one of these companies that then can produce something uh, with it, like J and J has. In this case, Gilead bought a car tea company. I think that's going to be smart. I think you have a floor around seventy, and a uh, let's just say I think it could be up fifteen. That is not bad. You're talking about a five-point down. Uh, 15 up. I'll take that risk anyway, any day of the week. All right. I always say I have the smartest audience in America. Lance in Florida, thanks for shining the light and making me going back over Acadia. I know it's been a wild one, but you know what? The potential is there. You've got my blessing to spend. Bye bye bye. Watch where Mad Money in. For years, the auto parts retailers were some of the best performers around, but then they took their foot off the gas the stocks back on track or could there be speed bumps ahead then how is a private player top golf you may have been there bringing it into the driving range in the 21st century i'm going to sit down with the ceo i think it's one exciting story and which investment could be threatened by the real bitcoin price discovery i'll reveal it just ahead so stay with kramer What does it take for a stock that's fallen from grace to get its groove back? Bye, bye bye For years, the auto parts retailers were some of the best performers around. I always highlighted them. If you owned Advance Auto Parts or AutoZone or O'Reilly Automotive, let's say from 2013 through 2016, well, I mean, you really cleaned up. But earlier this year, the whole group suddenly went out of style on the Wall Street fashion show as the companies reported a series of ugly shortfalls, and their stocks, they got obliterated.
0: The house of pain. However,
1: in the last few months, the auto parts retailers have started to rebound. First, AutoZone and O'Reilly bounced from their lows over the summer. Then, Advanced Auto Parts seemed to bottom last month. It's now up 28% from its lows on November 8th. Hey, you know what? That's a magnificent move. More important, if the auto parts business is really back on track, then these stocks are dirt cheap. In a market where where we're constantly hearing about people fretting about sky-high valuations. So how is it that the auto parts retailers have been making such a monster comeback? And crucially, I mean crucially, was this merely an oversold bounce? Or could these names have more room to run as part of a brand new uptrend? To really understand what's happening here, though, you need to know some of the recent history. O'Reilly AutoZone and Advanced Auto Parts had a terrific four-year run before the stocks went into free fall. Now, uh, th- and that was, just, that was just a few months ago. It was just earlier in the year. The reason? The big driver here was that during the Great Recession and its aftermath, Americans became a lot less eager to buy new vehicles. Made sense. But old cars need more maintenance, which means more business. And what more business flows right to the line of these companies, the parts retailers. At the same time, these companies were voracious buyers of their own stock, especially AutoZone, although O'Reilly typically had the best numbers. They, they, they just bought stock hand over fist in the open market. But then something went wrong, very wrong, for these guys in the first half of 2017, and their stocks fell off a cliff. For starters, there's the Amazon factor. For a long time, everybody assumed that companies like AutoZone or O'Reilly were somehow immunized against the Amazon. But in late January, we learned that the retail Death Star would be targeting the auto parts space. And as I pointed out before, whenever Amazon has an industry in its sights, every stock in the group gets slammed, even if they shouldn't be. Then within a matter of weeks, the auto parts retailers began reporting some really ugly earnings. And while this had nothing to do with Amazon per se, the context of potential future competition combined with these numbers just made things a lot worse. Advanced Auto Parts, which was the laggard of the group for so long, actually came in 2017 on a high note. Business seemed to be booming, and the company looked like it had overcome several long standing problems, like integration issues related to the 2014 acquisition of Genuine Parts International. Then in February, the company reported substantial earnings miss. Management cut their full-year forecast, and their free cash flow, wow, really went down. In May, the situation deteriorated even further. Advanced Auto Parts posting an enormous earnings shortfall. Same-store sales down 2.7%. We saw a similar story from AutoZone. A-Z-O, small shortfall in February, fall a short shortfall in May. O'Reilly's results were stronger. Company beat the top and bottom line estimates in February, but they stu- still they gave tepid guidance. When O'Reilly reported its first quarter results in late April, they only gave you mild disappointment. Not good, but much better than AutoZone or Advanced Auto Parts, and the guidance was actually decent. So what caused these hideous numbers? The one thing that all three companies kept citing as an alibi for their poor performance was the very mild winter. Second mild one in a row. For those of you who live in warmer climes, a cold winter is very rough on cars. And I'm not just talking about the need for snow tires. All the snow and ice results in need for more maintenance. That's good for business. By the same token, a mild winter means less demand for replacement parts. Or at least that was the story these companies were selling. They also blame the delay in federal tax refunds. You're, well, you're less likely to upgrade your car when you're waiting for the government to give you back your money. And the rising minimum wage in many jurisdictions put pressure on the margins of every one of these guys, but also a lot of companies in retail. But if you put it all together and you got some very, you got some very steep sell-offs that seem pretty justified, AutoZone had tumbled from 789 at the beginning of the year down to 491 in July lows. Hideous. O'Reilly, 278 to 169. Advanced auto parts lost more than half its value. 169 to 78 it finally bought a month ago. However, since then, all three have made remarkable comebacks, which makes me think that they were being straight with us when they blamed their weakness and the lack of bad weather last winter and with the tax returns. It, it, it rang true. So how did the bottom play out? The big washout in AutoZone and O'Reilly came in early July. O'Reilly pre-announced some very disappointing same-store sales figures, up 1.7, when the company guided 3 3 to 5. That was a pretty big miss. And the whole group got eviscerated, O'Reilly losing nearly 19% of its value in a single session. In Sympathy, AutoZone down 9%, Advanced Auto down 11%. But that was the moment of capitulation. Were the weak investors, the ones who really just didn't have any conviction, well, they blew out en masse. Everyone who was going to sell seemed to have finally sold. O'Reilly and AutoZone ended up bottoming a week or two later, although it took advanced auto parts a few more months to turn things around. But for O'Reilly and AutoZone, which I know you like, you're always asking me about these, the turn went into, uh, went into uh, full swing over the summer, first, O'Reilly reported better than expected quarters, stellar 17 percent earnings growth in late July. And even though the company actually cut its full year forecast, nobody seemed to mind since they'd already pre-announced the downside a few weeks earlier. Then AutoZone delivered a nice beat in September. And on the conference call, CEO Bill Rhodes, a lot of credibility there. He gave you some pretty rosy commentary about 2018. Advanced auto parts lagged behind because in August they both missed the estimates and cut numbers. Very different from what you just gotten from O'Reilly stock just got pole axed. But the latest round of earnings from all three companies was pretty darn impressive. O'Reilly gave you another beat in late October, actually raised their full-year earnings forecast. Advanced Soda Parts missed on the top line. Same-store sales, not that great. But they also delivered a big earnings beat, and management reaffirmed their guidance rather than cutting it. You know what the stock did? It shot up 16% in one day. Then last week, AutoZone knocked it out of the park with a flat out strong quarter. So here's my verdict on this once great group of stocks. I think the market may have overreacted in the first half when these companies reported a wave of shortfalls and everyone was freaking out about Death Star, Amazon. The numbers now seem to be improving and the stocks are far from expensive. AAP sells for 17 times next year's earnings estimates, O'Reilly 19, AutoZone's only 14 times. I've even recommended Advanced Auto Parts as a takeover target at the Deal Economy Conference a couple weeks ago because Jeff Smith, who runs Starboard Value, the activist Fund, is Advanced Auto's chairman. I bet he'd love to get out of this one. The bottom line, these stocks should never have been down so much in the first place. The sell-off was a total rush to judgment. Like the Oxbow incident, but with fewer summary executions. Which one should you buy? Well, this is a really interesting thing for you to know yourself, because you can take your pick. Uh, you can buy best of breed, not so O'Reilly. You can bargain hunt with AutoZone. Or you can speculate on a takeout with advanced auto parts. Boy, this industry, it's got something for everybody. Let's go to Steve in New York. Steve! yeah, Mr. Kramer. How are you, Steve? I am doing well, Steve. How about you? Good, thanks. Good.
0: Uh, Jim, I just saw my stock, Carvana, jump by about 30% over the last couple of weeks on some good news and reports. Uh, I was just wondering if you think uh, this stock could be a game changer for the car industry, or should I just sell on the good news?
1: Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Um, You know, I know we looked at this, the online platform – I have to do more work on it because, boy, sometimes these have been real bad and sometimes they've been real good on, like, co-parts. And I do, like, what made me hesitate is that, is that CarMax has been all over the place and I'm not sure what to say. Let me do more work. The auto parts retailers, they are very much bad. Maybe they should never have gone down to this much to begin with. Take your pick when it comes to any name in this crew, because it's got something for everybody. Much more man money yet. It's a driving range meets bowling alley meets nightclub meets experiential stuff, and it's in vogue. Tonight I'm sitting down with the CEO of. You've probably been to one. Top Golf. Find out how this private player is banking on the experiential economy. Then with Bitcoin futures officially trading, I'll tell you what to make of the cryptocurrency and order calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stick with Kramer. If you want to be a good investor, you need to find major new trends and get out ahead of them. Every now and then, that means checking in with a privately held company that's at the forefront of something very big. Tonight, I want to talk to you about one of the few growth areas left in the golf world. It's the interactive driving range. This is a concept pioneered by Top Golf. A normal driving range is kind of boring. Just whack the golf balls and away they go. But Topgolf came up with a new idea. They put microchips in the balls, and you hit them at targets on an outfield. It's like a gigantic dartboard. Because the balls are chipped, they can score every single shot for accuracy and distance. Suddenly, we got a fun, competitive experience, and Topgolf has become a full-on entertainment venue with dynamic event spaces and a terrific food and drink menu. Now, the company's small. They're opening their 38th location on Friday. But Topgolf is already a major driver for Callaway, the public trade, publicly traded golf equipment company owns 15% of the inter- interactive driving range chain. So let's take a closer look with Eric Anderson. He's the co-chairman, CEO of Top Golf, and the eighth most powerful person in the golf world, according to Golf Inc. Only seven spots behind the president of the United States. Mr. Anderson, welcome to Van Buddy. Right, Thank you, Eric. Have a great seat. To you. So Thank great you. To see you today. Thanks for having me. All right. Me. So candidly, um, I found out about your company through uh, EPR, through Entertainment Properties, sure. which told. Me me it is the most stable grower in their huge, frankly, different uh, entertainment venues. So, what's going on? How much of it is golf? How much of it is experiential? How much of it is women? Because you do have a lot of women who uh, play.
2: Sure. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, about half of our business is the golf game, the golf entertainment game, which okay. you did a good job. About half food and beverage. And we've got about 35% women. So, it's a Appeals to everybody.
1: Now, uh, opening up 38th, how many can there be?
2: Well, we think uh, at least 100 in the United States, and Ooh. then, you know, another 100 or 200 around the world. We're in Australia now, Mexico, Canada. We just announced Dubai as well.
1: Now, how much uh, are people who uh, want out, you know, have a good time, and how many people want to be great golfers?
2: Well, we're about... golfers, 60% non-golfers. Really? really, That high non-golfers? Non-golfers, yeah. yeah. And we're starting to see non-golfers defined as somebody who doesn't play eight rounds a year. So they're golfers. But we're really seeing kids show up now. And we've got great, you know, instruction programs. And it's a lot of fun because you can watch your kid and, of course, you get a cocktail or, or a nice Coke and watch them watch hit
1: some you balls. You know, when my kids were, were little, uh, we took them to a thing called Chuck E. Cheese. And frankly, it was just <laughs> really just an exercise in spending a lot of money for nothing. I mean, this seems like such a better idea. It's out, you know, what well, can be outdoors. It's, 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 it's got something that can be a lifetime sport. Sure. I mean, are you hearing from parents that this is something terrific for their kids?
2: Yeah, we, Yeah, we really are. We've got some great stories already with young kids learning to play the golf, play golf, work with our professionals there and you know we had a great story the other day with one of our professionals the young kid was doing really well and our professional went went out to him to watch that drive chip and putt you know the program from Augusta sure. so we're seeing a lot of that and it's so accessible and so the kids can get a lot of practice in and golf is maybe a 20-minute game with a four-hour walk sometimes right so you, right. you know you're really trying to learn how to hit the ball right yes before you do before you go out in the course a
1: lot No, there are so few golf Place, so to speak, that I've used EPR as one of them. Sure. I, I'm, at a certain point, when you've opened it enough, is Top Golf a company that could be public?
2: Yes, yeah, so, I mean we we definitely fit the criteria to right. be a public company, and you know Providence invested in us recently. Right. So, as a big private equity group, you know we we certainly look at that as an option for us at some point.
1: Uh, about Top Golf Crush. Seems like something I want to play, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we bought this company, Pro Tracer, now called Top Tracer. It's optical technology to track the ball in addition to our chips in the ball. Right. But we take it to, you know, to the big arenas. We were recently at F1. And so you can set up Top Golf and play it, you know, at a at any kind of venue. So we go outside of our regular venue.
1: Where are we in golf? Uh, I saw this week, for instance, Tiger Woods came back. Sure. There's a lot of hoopla about that. I'm trying to figure out just in terms of, say, a 50-year panoply, where is golf?
2: Well, golf certainly hit a peak at one point in the U.S. with Tiger, lots right, of courses. Right. But I, th- I think it's stabilized and we're seeing real growth again. And I think golf starts to get growing in a couple of ways. If you count our activity – Golf actually has grown. So I think right. it's just expanding the audience and how people get to it.
1: Okay, one last question. To me, you know we're about millennials in the show. We're about experiential. It, does that fit the criteria? Are people doing Instagram when they're there? Is it very much of a Facebook or Snap experience?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because what we do is it allows it to be what I think of for millennials as a dense parallel experience. Dance. So you come in, you play the game. Right. You can have some great food. Our associates right. do a fantastic right. job. Right. Right, you watch some TV, you can uh, you know, work with your friends, with your girlfriend, business colleagues. Right. And if you know, right in the middle of it, if you say, you know, that's, that's great, I want to take a picture, you know, then they stop and it's Instagram moment. I knew we were really onto something when uh, I think it was Drew Brees one time, he took a Snapchat, right, a little picture of the screen with the, said, right. this was my score. And I said, I'm winning, right, I'm winning as an owner, as a CEO when people are taking a picture of the screen and telling me, hey, can you beat my score? Boy, it that, absolutely t- does it that
1: tells you everything, frankly. That's a great incident, plus we all love Drew Brees. <laughs> okay, that's Eric Anderson. He's the co-chairman and CEO of Top Topgolf. Boy, I like the story. I wish it were public. Man, money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning. For the of one of the same side! <laughs> Bye, 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 buy, And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, skin Daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with James. You got for you, James. Kramer, I bought in at 10.09 on Cara Therapeutics. It's now 12.54. Should I hold it or get out? Oh, I still out? believe in Cara Therapeutics. I think the revolution, I'm not backing away. Jason in Texas. Jason. Booyah oh, from the ATX, home of the UT Longhorns, where property values are through the roof, Unintended. I How do you like that? Uh, What's my like What's My question is on Thomson Reuters, ticker TRI. I think it's very inexpensive, and I think there's always going to be a need for it, and therefore it's okay to own. How about John in South Carolina? John.
2: Hey, Jim, uh,
1: MDGO Farmers looking good. Oh, man, that thing's insane. Talk about parabolic. Why not take half off the table, really? You're not going to get a 400% run without some people taking profits. Take them first. Doug in Arizona. Doug. A Southwest booyah, Jim, from warm and sunny Peoria, Arizona. Yes, it sure is. What's up? Hey, I'm calling about Edison International. Oversold, and I don't think it's going to be as dangerous as people think I'd be a buyer, B-I-X. How about Jerry in Utah? Jerry.
2: Jim, a big Rocky Mountain booyah to you. Okay. I appreciate all the good advice you give us, uh, Action Alert members.
1: Yes. And,
2: uh, Jim, I wonder if you think... Win Resort Limited would be a good place. I think buy right I should now. have been
1: pushing the club to buy the stock because I like it so much. Hopefully, it'll go down. We can get in there, and that, ladies and gentlemen, up the Lightning Round!
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Bitcoin. 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 What do we do with Bitcoin? First, let me say this. As long as it's not against the law, I am supportive of anything that makes people money. Bitcoin has made people's fortunes. They've made people fortunes all over the world. You know what I say? Hallelujah! That's great. Second, I hate it when experts try to keep other people out of securities or instruments that make you money. One of my biggest gripes is that I so often hear hedge fund managers come on TV and say the stock market is too risky for them or the easy money has been made or that it's too dangerous for individual investors. I balk at that kind of thing because I've been hearing that stocks are too expensive since when I was poor and I bought my first one almost 40 years ago. Back then I was often warned against buying stocks because I could lose a ton of money. I am so glad I didn't listen to people who frankly would have kept me in my chains. As long as there is no systemic risk You shouldn't listen either. Now, along comes Bitcoin, its related cryptocurrencies. And while I'm concerned that they're too disorganized, too dark, too dependent on software that they can be hacked, I don't want to begrudge anyone from trying to profit from anything. Now, sometimes I'm regarded as a door slammer, like the rich people who say, don't buy stocks, they're too risky. Not true. I've waited ages for a device I trust a futures contract to help us discover the real price of this darn thing. And, and, and as much as Bitcoin's defenders may love it and they're very emotional about it, can we just admit that anything that trades at entirely different prices at different brokers is unreliable and it, it does bear the resemblance of Monopoly money? You can't have something that's selling for 15000 in one place, 16000 in another. That's not right. But the newly launched Bitcoin futures are changing that. I also don't like how Bitcoin spikes so quickly. We call this a parabolic move. It looks like a parabola. And I've never seen, not once, seen a straight up move like this one that actually lasts, not once. I've been looking at a lot of parabolas. Of course, this time could be different. All the emotional people who like it say it is different. Or maybe it's not different, in which case it's gotta be worried. But look, as long as we had an orderly market, I was totally cool with Bitcoin. I I like the fact that Bitcoin was the secure way for people to get money out of countries I don't like, countries that are failing. It's certainly better than gold, which is very difficult to transport and easily confiscate. Yet Bitcoin is the ideal secure way to get money out. So if you live in, say, Venezuela, it's a terrific way to hide your wealth or transfer it overseas without being detected by the government, which I don't blame anyone from trying to do. Some, uh, it's the same reason like criminals love to do it when they're uh, asking to pay it in ransomware. I even let myself hope that when Square decided to launch a pilot program, letting its customers buy and sell Bitcoin, that might create an orderly market. Of course, I was dead wrong on all these. And the result is the craziness we saw until last night when the future started trading. Not that they weren't erratic, but at least we have price discovery. Look, I'll be monitoring all these cryptocurrencies closely. Again, cause for concern, there are too many of them. If we can get real price discovery in one of these, then it might augment or even one day replace gold as a repository of wealth. I can't rule that out either. So far, I'm encouraged by the discipline that the new Bitcoin futures seem to be injecting, although I'd like to see a lot more discipline. At the end of the day though, you know, there's there's a need to, for me, as a prudent guy to urge some caution. Look, I never want to stand in the way of anyone making money as long as they know the risk. So if you want to put your money in Bitcoin, please ask yourself, Do you know the risk? And if you do, be my guest. I'm not stopping you. If not, though, maybe you should be on the sidelines. Because my first rule, do no harm. Stick with Kramer. We keep rotating and rotating and rotating. And now we're back to buying the oils. Why? Because West Texas Intermediate is selling such a big discount to the rest of the world, making it so that we are in a more valuable position. So oil is gonna keep going higher, at least the stocks. I like to say there's always market more I promise you to find it just for your radio man money. I'm Jim Claver, see you tomorrow!